This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash opening soon. Reopening is upon us. Well, for some of us at least. And pending for the rest of us. Jenny and I listened this morning to industry leaders, including Thomas Keller, Will Godara, Sean Feeney, and Tim Love, present issues that independent restaurants are facing directly to President Trump. Among those issues were the importance of the PPP loans and the necessity that the usage and the term length for forgiveness be adjusted. One thing that all parties in the room agreed on was the importance that restaurants play in our communities. Big or small, Restaurants are an integral weave in the fabric of our society and in the pleasures of our life. We need to reopen the economy, sure, but also for the greater part of who we are, how we behave and how we interact with each other, we need to reopen for us. So we are excited to welcome back today a previous opening soon guest and good friend of ours, Stephen Satterfield of Miller Union in Atlanta, Georgia. And I think the last time we spoke with Stephen, he was about to celebrate his 10th anniversary over at Miller Union, um, which is such an amazing milestone to achieve. And Stephen is actually, in fact, reopening soon, very soon, hopefully on June 1st. <laughs> I hear a giggle um, from Stephen um, after he's been closed for almost two months with a uh, with uh, shutting down on March 15th. Um, the restaurant he opens will no doubt be very different from the one that was closed in March um, after 10 years of service, but let's get into how different that will be and how guests will perceive the changes and um, what will come after that. So Stephen, welcome back. We've missed you as always. Um, welcome back. Yes, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So tell us what the vibes are like in Georgia, because your governor actually let your stay-at-home order expire on April 30th. So tell us what you've been experiencing. Yeah, so, um, you know, the the announcement from Governor Kemp was uh, uh, unexpected and early for most of us. Um, I think he announced on the 27th that restaurants would be able to reopen the following Monday. So it gave restaurants less than six days to prepare with <laughs> gui- with guidelines that were coming soon later that week. So by the time they released the guidelines, I think it was Thursday afternoon, which gave restaurants three and a half days to prepare to reopen. And honestly, it just wasn't very realistic. Um, we all felt like it was a little too early and and that we hadn't really seen our numbers plateau in terms of hospitalization and deaths from the COVID-19 crisis. So many restaurants in the Atlanta area chose to stay, remain closed and, or to continue with just curbside or takeout or whatever they may be doing. Uh, We were definitely one of those. Um, So we actually had an amazing opportunity after we closed about five days later um, someone reached out to us to prepare uh, food for healthcare workers as they're getting off their shifts with Emory University hospital systems. And we were really excited about the opportunity because it gave us a purpose and something to focus on. And also it's a, it was actually a financial contract. So we were able to pay all of our bills, pay for the food and get all of our um, 
uh, all of our uh, you know utilities and and keep 25 employees on payroll so it really was a, an amazing opportunity to to keep the lights on and to to do something that was meaningful um, so How we just ended that, that Oh, we just ended the, about to ask you. Sorry, we just entered the contract on Saturday, so um, that was on the 16th. So we went for six weeks, and let me tell you, it was it was intense. We were doing 400 meals a day, packaged as meals for two. So 200 bags of a four course dinner for two that um, Emery and their uh, wonderful sponsors, which were the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm, um, they basically were handing these out as gifts to their employees as they got off their 12-hour shift. And we got so many, so many beautiful notes on social media and handwritten letters, emails, just from some of these workers that were just so effusive and so thankful for not having to cook dinner (laughs) and uh, to be able to share it with their a significant other or their roommate or whoever it may be. Um, so it was really a rewarding experience. Yeah. We were super happy to be a part of it. And so you got to keep 25 people on payroll, but what's your normal, like normally how many people do you employ? Oh, it's closer to 43. So we definitely had to furlough some folks. Some of our employees were part-time, uh, like some of the hosts and some of the dishwashers and whatnot. And a lot of them had second jobs, so we that was an easy decision to make. Okay, they have another job that they can, you know, file unemployment with because with part time it's kind of hard to do. And then um, some of our other employees had maybe another opportunity that they could do, or maybe they were moving back home or whatever, because it just kind of hit everyone like a tidal wave when all this information came through that every restaurant across the world was closing, every gathering place had to cease, you know, and so um, different people handled it differently. And, and we kept a, a core staff of people that were committed to number one, quarantining when they were not here. Number two, being comfortable to work together, you know, as a group with face masks, gloves, sanitation and all that. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie, I was terrified the first week or two because I just, you know, we just didn't know how contagious this thing was and, and if it had infiltrated the restaurant, if anybody had been sick. And so we were really just anxious about, about doing it, but we felt like we had to try. And knock on wood, everyone's been very healthy and everyone's been able to come to work. And we've, we've laughed and we've cried and we've blasted music while we're bagging food and you know everything it's been very emotional and I will say that the people that are here we have deeply bonded during this time Uh, we've had a team of cooks we've had a team of servers the servers have had to learn how to portion and pack food for the first time where they normally (laughs) would be selling it so you know it's been a really interesting experience and and, um, since then we have converted back to doing curbside takeout. Um, we started back, uh, sat, we actually started last week during the Emory um, final days of that contract, which was a little challenging because we're making all this food for healthcare workers and then trying to sell to-go food too. Um, we just did it on the weekend and now we're doing it uh, six days a week 
until we reopen. So it's just a, a couple of weeks while we're doing, uh, getting ready to reopen the restaurant. So what, uh, th- that's amazing. It's amazing that you guys were able to, to stay together, that you were able to keep working. Yeah, and, and we had some, some masks donated from Tillit. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We try, we try. Um, <laughs> tell, us, tell us what reopening looks like. How are you planning um, to, to go back in? Are you separating tables? I know we talked earlier about, you know, the outside is going to be more of a component than it was before. Sure. Um, yeah, us, I can fill you in. Um, well, you know, we've done the math and we've run the numbers and it's definitely grim to stay open with such limitations. So where we used to be open six days a week, we're going to try seven. Um, tell me, tell me before you start, what are the limitations? Is it half capacity? Well, okay. So, um, the, the exact limitations currently are no more than 10 people per 300 square feet. It was, no more than 10 per 500. So they just eased that restriction a little bit. And how um, big is the Miller Union? We are 3,000 square feet. Um, yeah, you can figure that Quick out. math is 30 people, is that right? Uh, no, it's 60. No, 60. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. But um, <laughs> Still small. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it's 60. It's, does that include it's staff? It's 60 for, for the 500 square feet. Um regulation but it just went down to 10 per 300 square feet so it's actually a little bit more lenient we're going to keep it probably our max at 60 just to be safe is um, that staff but, or just dining? that's just guests well i i believe it applies to both wow so okay. um in the same room but the thing i think it's more about i think the regulations are more about who's seated because the staff's going to be moving around right so i guess we'll count the kitchen as one because there'll be you know a number of people in the kitchen and maybe we'll keep it more at 50 but here's the thing is that we're actually building out um sort of a temporary dining space outside in front of the restaurant uh we have a public common area that's shared between all the neighbors in the building and our landlord and our neighbors are absolutely fine with us utilizing it during this time because uh, the other neighbors are retail we have one that's a theater and they and they're not they're live theater so they're not reopening just yet and basically we're we're building a few high top tables we are adding a few two top tables out there we're putting in a sunscreen um and the the opening uh, so our our building is a a big concrete uh i'm sorry center block old warehouse building and they have these big bays cut out of them that are opening so the air can come in the light can come in but um we're gonna actually put a big giant sunscreen in that bay that is the center part of the uh, common area so we can shield the sun because we, we face due west so the sunsets are beautiful but they're it also gets really hot, hot. Uh, we're putting some plantings in uh, and planters and we're basically going to offer an, a waiting area slash an alternative dining area because we understand that a lot of people are going to feel more comfortable outside with the breeze with that extra air around them. We do have tall ceilings in the restaurant, so that's another bonus. Um, We just installed some air purifiers into our HVA system that are guaranteed to kill bacteria and virus. So uh, it's like 99.9% effective on air transmission of the virus. So we're really excited about that. 
we'll be broadcasting that broadly. Um, and rather than removing tables and making it feel stark, we're just going to limit how we seat so that it still feels like the same place. Like we want it to feel inviting. You wouldn't want to have big open spaces between the tables. It, you know, we can still have an empty table next to you, right? And so it just feels a little more humane. <laughs> um, and we're, we're actually just going to do dinner to start. Uh, lunch has always been a little bit uh, unpredictable in terms of business. And, you know, most of our, I would say most of our diners for lunch are business people that are having a business meeting or, you know, it's a little bit more of an upscale lunch. And so we don't think we're going to see that kind of traffic once we reopen because we think people are still going to be working from home. And we're just going to kind of ride it out at dinner for a while and see how it goes. So a lot, of, a lot of changes. So yeah, that's a lot of changes. Um, I yeah. just want to unpack that a little bit. So like with the additional, so first of all, with the additional seating, how many outside seating, how many guests do you think you'll be able to serve um, a night versus what you previously did on a busy night? Well, one one thing we'll be doing is, you know, like in terms of just monitoring how many people are in the space at a time, you know, we are... We will have a, um, we work with Resi for our um, reservation system. They have a lot of really great um, uh, functions that they're about to roll out this week. And so one of them is a mobile waiting app. So you can put your number in and wait outside until it's safe to come in. When someone leaves, you know, then you have the opportunity to, to sit down. We're probably going to put some time limitations on the tables and we hope people understand because you know, because of the limitations of the amount of people we can have at one time, we don't want people to linger so that others can have the opportunity to dine with us. And we, we're, we're, hope, we're hoping and we're sure that if we explain it in the right way to our guests that they'll understand. Um, and we'll also have, um, with Resi, they also have that uh, capacity limitation on the reservation system. They're gonna have a new floor plan so they can really help us with the, the, the digital technology side of it and help us keep track without having to walk around and count all the heads, right? So that's, that's gonna be really helpful. Um, we haven't actually figured out the exact number of people we can seat at a time and, and knowing that we're staggering the seatings and all that stuff, we still need to kind of do all that math and we are just now finishing like pulling things out of the dining room because we've had a lot of stuff stored in the dining room including all the chairs stacked up and some of the tables stacked up and we were using it as a place to box up the food so we just ended that program a few days ago and we're still sort of like taking away the layers of of things that were being stored out in the dining room so we're still kind of working on out our plan for that it's very tenuous um, but you know we still have about 12 days before we, we get there. A lot of action items wow. this week. <laughs> Checking them off. Um, so, and it sounds also like this is, there's a financial burden for you to bring your restaurant up to speed just so you can welcome these guests back. You mentioned like the 100%. HVAC improvement and then you're also like spending real money probably converting this patio. Can you tell us a little bit about like that decision-making and- um, Sure. Yeah, it's been tough. Um, we met with uh, 
a gardener that we really love a lot. And we were like, listen, we're on a super tight pandemic budget. So (laughs) what can you do to make this look inviting? Pandemic special. Yeah. Without breaking the bank because we don't have a lot of money, but we, but we know we need to beautify this space to make it inviting. So like, we're going to hang some uh, string lights, like the little Edison bulbs, you know, we're, we're putting in some um, bamboo in containers to uh, flank the sunscreen. So it will have like a nice wispy, uh, tall kind of treesy feel to it. And then we're going to do some, um, Fazia and autumn fern and some English ivy and the planters just to give some texture and height and different colors. Um, the the all the tables are going to be just like the ones inside, so they're wooden tops with the with the cast uh, base. And we actually had to order the high tops. We don't have any, and and you know it's not something you can just like go out and find a cool looking high top table. Uh, so we we're having them custom made, but very inexpensively and we just do a simple look with all of our tables it's just um pine that's stained with a simple base and we just let the food be the food and the wine be the star on the table um we are lucky enough to borrow some bar stools from a friend of ours who is a restaurant across the street and they're not reopening just yet so they have plenty of bar stools we can use and they look very nice and we're excited to to utilize them and he's happy to loan them to us so we have that seating available for the um, high top tables and then we have plenty of chairs and, and extra tables we can use outside. So, you know, it is an expense. Um, we're hoping that the return is going to be that we have extra real estate where we can seat people and we can make that money back pretty quickly. Um, we don't really know how many people are comfortable going out to dine, but we do feel like if it's an outdoor space, they're going to feel a lot more comfortable than inside. We also have our covered patio, which is a part of our dining space to begin with. So that's that's another bonus. And there's we, in busier times, we were able to seat 44 people out there. So we'll we'll probably run it at about 20 people total outside. So that gives enough space between everyone. I was just going to ask, as a you know, because you know, obviously we're we've got a uniform company, so we're kind of curious as to what people are thinking in that. How are you? What's your plan with your team? Are you thinking of changing the way that they dress and the way that they work? Well, I mean, for the kitchen staff, um, we'll continue to wear gloves for ready to eat food. We're going to be sanitizing much more frequently, um, keeping distance as best we can in the kitchen. Everyone will be required to wear masks in the kitchen. Um, we are probably going to have the servers wear masks too, at least for the first, you know, couple of weeks and see how it goes. We've seen a couple of um, reports about data feed, feedback um, from customers with various surveys in, in and around town. And some people, yeah, some people expect masks and some people don't want to see them, you know. Some many people said that they don't want plexiglass between the tables; that it's off-putting. Some people said they'd feel more comfortable. You know, I think it's really just about being smart and and keeping people as as far away as possible, and knowing that the airflow in the room is safe. And you know, that's that's really what best we can do. I think. And thinking about your your staff too. I mean. Of course. Of job and everyone's job yeah. is keeping their staff happy and safe. Yeah. 
I think we've emphasized so many times how important it is to limit your contact with others that the, the folks that are here on the team, which is who we're going to definitely be keeping as we reopen, we can't really grow much bigger. Um, they, they get it and they, they, they understand that their health and safety is important and that our customers is too. And so if they're taking care of themselves, then they can take care of the guest. What kind of like training with your staff have you, I mean, you've been operating to some extent with the grant to feed healthcare workers and now doing curbside, but what kind of training have you implemented and like what additional training will you have to do once you're starting to actually welcome guests back into the dining rooms? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what, what I just mentioned, like everyone always wearing a mask, sanitizing frequently, you know, wearing gloves when we're handling food, all that has been happening since, you know, since we got the Emory contract and we were very careful to interface with them and ask them the best practices. Um, for reopening, there's going to be, it's going to be a little trickier because we're going to have to be kind of guiding the guest through the experience a little bit more. Um, we don't plan, our, our bar area is relatively tight, so we don't plan to bring guests through the bar area. Um, if they're seated outside on the patio, we do have a walkway that runs the length of the bar outside that we can take them the external route to a little um, kind of more of a service door where we can take them outside to their table. And then um, another way to avoid the bar area as people are, are walking in, because the bar is the first room that you enter, is just to take them down the hallway to the way to get to the other dining room. So um, we basically would make an immediate left, just go alongside the short end of the bar and then they have options to go left or right once they get to the dining spaces. And so we're going to be, you know, guiding people that way. We're, we're planning on doing um, just, you know, disposable paper menus and uh, rolling up the silverware instead of placing it on the table. Um, being a lot more cautious about, you know, like in the past we've done, we've offered people family style meals. If they want to taste a bunch of things, we'll probably won't be doing that much anymore unless it's a true family that's been quarantined together. Most people don't want to share utensils and, and think about the whole like, plates. family, yeah. family yeah. style. Well, and imagine if you have a restaurant with communal tables, I mean, you're kind of screwed. Like that's, if that's yeah. a big part of your concept, then that's going to drastically impact your, your business. Um, we're taking a chainsaw out of that communal team. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so slicing that thing up. Exactly. And then um, some other things that we're, we're doing, like, you know, a lot of times opening the wine and, and, you know, tasting wine before we give it to the guests. Like, we probably won't be doing that. You know, we'll probably just uh, probably handle the wine bottle with gloves and maybe let them pour it themselves. Um, we're, still, we're still trying to figure all that stuff out. I mean... We're so used to taking care of people and touching the table and, you know, pouring their wine for them, refolding their napkin when we can't be doing that anymore. And so there's a lot of like levels of service that require that sense of touch and that, um, you know, that close proximity with the guests that we're going to have to remove. And it's unfortunate, but it's really for the safety of our team and for the guests too. You know, we won't be refolding people's napkins. We won't be, you know, we're probably going to be a lot more cautious about clearing 
plates from the table and maybe that's going to be a situation where we're utilizing gloves um, we're going to be extremely cautious about our dishwashers because they're handling everyone's dirty dishes and and utensils so we want to make sure they understand you know how important it is for them to frequently wash their hands and to um, sanitize their hands and wear a face mask and not touch their face i mean they're they're probably some of the most at risk in in the restaurant industry so the busters and the dishwashers we're going to take extra special care with them i didn't even think about yeah, that it's a lot to think I mean, about how yeah Chefs yeah. and the cooks are on the front and, end, so they don't actually have as much right. contact nearly as the people on the back end. And by the way, the um, one thing we're still trying to figure out, and if you hear a good idea, tell me, because our wine <laughs> list is like eight pages long. And we, I'm, I don't know if you realize, I'm sure you do, we were recently nominated someone flipping through those for pages. Outstanding Wine Program by the James Weir Foundation for Congrats. the third year. Congrats. So we're really excited, Congrats. and that's my business partner, Neil, who runs that program. We are racking our brains how we're going to deal with the wine list because we we can't throw away eight or nine pages and reprint. I mean, it's just so wasteful. And so we thought about, you know... Could you send a link by Resi? Like, can Resi send an email link to all the guests? And then when they get there, you tell them to pull it up on their phone? Yes, but... Digital. Trying to read it on a phone screen when there's so much information yeah, about the region and the vintage and what vineyard and you know we we have a lot of detailed information for for the wine geek who likes to read all that stuff it's just a little much mm-hmm. to read on your phone um and maybe some people i mean i would be annoyed and i would have to go pull out my reading glasses so or or pinch in <laughs> to see it and then try to find where the line goes to the number and right so right. i don't know i think that's a lot to ask on the guests i think maybe I do like your idea of sending it to them in advance if they wanted to pre-select before they come. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, or you, and you could even do like text the sommelier. So like you inject like this other level of like, be like, here's the wine list. If you have any questions, text us in advance so we can help guide you with your Jenny, preferences. I like and that idea. Okay, I like it. And you add some Maybe like... starts with like a short survey of the things that you like in the wine or whatnot, and then it kind of narrows it down that way that's not a bad idea be like the wine hotline yeah. i like it but we did think about you know maybe laminating the pages but it's just such an ugly look i just don't like a laminated menu i mean then it's the, it's like tgi fridays <laughs> yeah. Yeah. maybe we'll put pictures of the wine on there too <laughs> well, that could be fun though i mean like that could be a funny way to do it is like cute like little cartoons of the wine <laughs> and this like laminated thing like welcome you know like sort of a throwback but that's not really your vibe. Well, maybe not realistic. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, I think that there's some yeah. there's some solution in there somewhere. I like those ideas. All right. I hope we helped. We'll keep I'm on. Like, if any we'll of our keep... listeners have any great ideas or they've come up with something, then please share. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. 
One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash opening soon. We are so used to nurturing people in this industry, as like Thomas Keller kept on saying during the roundtable with Trump yesterday. Um, and a lot of that element of nurturing the touch points of the SOM, the, you know, the touch points with your server, folding your napkin, those are all going to be removed. So, you know, what can we do to convey this this level of hospitality in this new in this new normal? Yeah, I mean that it's it's really a baffling question, isn't it? Like, yeah. what are the what are the ways we can pivot to to still give great service, but but also be safe? And I think so much of um, so much of of that we're still trying to figure out. You know, we're asking ours. I mean, every day something new occurs to us. Like like the wine list was yesterday. Like, oh, what are we going to do about the wine list? Like, can we mist it with? Hydrogen peroxide? No, that's unrealistic. And you know what I mean? So it's like just trying to figure out all these different different ways to, to give the great service that we that we want to. It's we, you have to get creative and inventive. And I think some of it might happen on the floor when we're open. We might see new opportunities where we can come up with a refreshing new way to approach the customer or or take care of them, you know, in real time where we're going to all be putting on our thinking caps during that during that time. How do you think this is going to change the the future of dining for the long term? I mean, now that everyone is starting to think in these ways about like how many people have touched the wine list before I touch it, I feel like to me it's still going to concern me once the vaccine is there. I'll think about like sure. who was sitting at this table before sure. me and why are why are they, why are they dropping well, all those things now? Like, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. And, you know, I mean, one of the requirements is to sanitize all the surfaces before you reseat. So that's something we'll be doing, too. And it's definitely a good idea. Uh, and to do all the doorknobs and the light switches and all those things. But um, I think, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more restaurants being welcoming to takeout because it's a source of revenue where in the past it's something we didn't want to do while we were busy taking care of guests in the dining room and somebody called in a to-go order sometimes we might say hey we're just too busy tonight we can't do it you know we've never been big fans of putting our food in a box you also have to change your menu because it's not the same menu that goes on the table that can travel outside the door for 30 minutes or 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 we are smart about the menu so that the entire thing can be to go you know and maybe we just have a different way of packaging it so that they can assemble it at home. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it. I do think just in general, gathering in public is going to be different and it will be for a long time. This is this is gonna forever change how we greet each other. I don't see handshakes coming back anytime soon. Hugs are gonna be a, a thing that you only do with somebody that you trust i'm such a hugger you know, i'm so upset about that me too oh i know i'm, I'm <laughs> like the I mean, southerners I'm, like a, just... I'm not i'm cool i'm a like, hugger and, I, and I, I you know 
I, I'm definitely like an affectionate person and it's <laughs> going to be hard for me. Um, so I think, and you know, even just like the distance in which we may be speaking to each other in, in public could be drastically different. I mean, I've read a lot of um, interesting articles about how the virus is transmitted and, and just talking is one way that it can be emitted just with tiny little micro droplets coming out of your breath as you speak. And if you project your voice, it's going to go further. You know, if you're, if you, that's why, that's why everyone should be wearing masks as you're, as you're speaking to people, you could be, um, you know, emitting the virus. And if you're, if you don't even realize that you're sick or not. And so there's just so many things to consider. And we really have a lot, uh, (coughs) excuse me, we have a lot of, of thought to put into how we interact and I do think it's going to change restaurants and in drastic ways but hopefully it'll change things for the better and in the sense that we'll be a lot more considerate of each other and and understanding people's limitations with their with their general vicinity and their public public space and their comfort level and I think we have to be very sensitive to that speaking of you know we talked a lot about like how about like, you know, making the guests feel welcome. What sort of reception are you hearing from the, from the potential guests and the diners coming back in Atlanta? Um, are you seeing enthusiasm? Are people asking you to open? Are there, are they expressing concerns? Tell us what like that sentiment's like. Well, I mean, we've seen a lot of different uh, reactions. And when, when we started doing the curbside takeout, we've had so many regulars come by and Everyone is just like, when are you opening? We, we miss your food. We're so glad you're doing this for now. Um, and it's, you know, I think people are, are anxious to revisit the restaurants that they really care about. I think this is sort of a level set for, um, a le- it's really a level set for restaurants in general. If you're a good restaurant, I think you can survive. It's going to be tough. And I think we're going to hit some rocky roads in the fall and the winter but I think there's a way to do it if we're smart and resourceful and we are careful about our business. Um, and, and we may, you know, and if we do have to shelter in place again, which is possible, we're hoping to see more government aid for small businesses and restaurants in particular. Um, but I also think, you know, some of the people that trust us have told me when you do reopen, you're going to be the first restaurant that we go visit because we, we trust you guys. We know you're going to do everything right. You always do. And you, you make the right choices as business owners for your employees and for your, for your, um, for your guests. And so I actually just went to work out this morning outside with my trainer. Uh, and he, keep, he stays 10 feet apart and sanitizes all the equipment, which has been great. It's been a big release for me to be able to lift some weights and get a little cardio and I saw um, a husband and wife couple that were just finishing up with him when I was rolling up on my bike and um, they were asking me about the reopening and they said the exact same thing we were like well we haven't been to any restaurants and we can tell you right now the only one we're planning on going to is yours and it just made my heart melt because people do look at us as setting the setting the bar and setting the example in Atlanta and we were one of the first restaurants to shut down. We were one of the first restaurants to speak publicly against our governor's uh, ease of restrictions. And we are very opinionated about how 
we should operate, but we do it for good reasons. And I think, you know, it, that kind of stuff pays off. The people that rush to open, I feel like could seem very opportunistic. And I think it's not about money right now. I mean, yes, it is to a degree, but there's, it's so much greater than that. It's so much bigger than that. And giving our customers something that they know they can rely on and they can trust us and that we're gonna do the best we can that says a lot and I, it really does make me feel good to hear that kind of feedback that's amazing i mean it's it goes back to what we said in the beginning that restaurants are such a huge part of the community for more than just for eating i mean it, it's hard i think there are a lot of restaurants that um that want to rush back uh, because they need revenue and because they're stuck and I, I completely understand that yeah. and they're yeah they're they're there are many people that are in very desperate situations that you know, the only way they know how to make money is to open their doors. And, and I get it. And I, I, and I don't shun them or con, I don't condemn them. I think it's a personal choice. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, what about, what about some of the other details of getting, getting back? Do you have to rehire more staff? How does it look like with, uh, you guys do t- a ton of, uh, local seasonal product Are your farmers able to get to you? Is the supply chain still available? Tell us some of that. Yeah, I think with the staff, we're probably sticking with who's already here because it's been well established that <clears throat> that the uh, everyone's been taking you know everything seriously. We may have to get another cook or two to come in, um, just it, depending on how busy we are. We're not really sure, but um, our farmers, we have been in close contact with them, and in fact. One of the stipulations for me when we did the Emory contract was, hey, this is going to cost X amount because we want to support local farms first. And so we want to make sure that they're taken care of so they don't lose their wholesale accounts. So we were placing huge orders with them over the past six weeks. I mean, in, in really great quantities, like some things in the 50 to 60 pound quantity, something in the 200 pound quantities. And, you know, that's a much larger order than we'd be getting normally. But normally we would get like a wide variety of different types of things at smaller increments. Well, this would be like maybe we'd just get one or two things. I mean, there was one farmer. I think we bought about 125 pounds of lettuce from her every week because we served a salad with every meal. And, I mean, it was great for her because she didn't have the traffic at the farmer's market that she thought at first. Now, what was interesting was seeing how busy our local farmer's markets got. Um, I remember on Mother's Day, that Sunday, there was a line of about 100 people waiting to get into the market, and they were socially distancing and limiting people. So that that create that partly created the line, but also the, um, the demand. I mean, people know they can trust the local growers and they don't want to go inside of a supermarket. So they'd rather go to the outdoor market and a lot of the farms were offering pre-order where you just go to their website and you can create your own box and then they have it already boxed up with your name. It's a lot more work for the farmer, but they it was also more safe because they're not having people pick through the produce and bag it themselves and all that. And so the market that I go to every Saturday has been slammed and um, it's been wonderful to see the farms have so much more engagement from the local community. And I think some there's probably a lot of newbies there, which is great because the more people we can get involved in the local food system, the stronger it's going to be. 
Um, so we've been able to keep our farmers engaged and, you know, it's a little bit slower now with the curbside takeout because we're not doing 200 meals a day. We're just doing, you know, a handful here and there, but um, we definitely are excited about like getting in our regular orders again and, and making like actual menu items and menu dishes. I mean, that is encouraging. And I know that the farmer, you know, the farms and the local product has always been such a huge part of your business. And and it's the local food economy is such a big part of so many restaurants and they are really suffering with all the restaurants closing. Yeah. And um, so that t- is like, that's encouraging to hear. I'll tell you something else too. That's very interesting. And I know there's been a lot of talk in the national media about meat shortages. Well, there's not really a meat shortage. Let's, I just want to set the record straight. All of the <laughs> local ranches and the sustainable producers they have plenty of, I mean, their demand's higher, yes, but the reason why is because the unsustainable ones, they had to shut down because they're massive production plants and they were having mm-hmm. virus outbreaks and in and, and, and wet and steamy conditions or whatever, and, or cold conditions, which both can, um, can exacerbate the situation of the spread. So in close quarters and confinement. And so really, um, that's the issue. And it's, it's really a testament to an unsustainable system that is broken and needs to be fixed. And so I am proud to tell you that all of our producers have had plenty of pasture raised chickens and pastured pork and grass fed beef. And they, and that's what we buy to begin with. And that's what we believe in. If you're going to serve meat, then they should be humanely raised and have regenerative agriculture. And so that's what we've put our dollars into. Now it's more expensive than commodity meats, but that's the true price of raising an animal. And so the way that the, a lot of these animals are raised in these, um, you know, these factory farm situations, it's, it is a broken system. And that's why that, that's why meat is scarce because there's nobody there to process it. I mean, amen to that. I think that like in some ways this virus is shedding light and on systems and processes that aren't broken and aren't meant to be sustained. And I mean, we've noticed the same thing. It's like Alex's parents are like, there's a meat shortage in the grocery store here in Florida. And we're like, what we're, you know, we're getting tons of fresh, you know, great meat from local farms. That is like you're saying, like pasture age, because these people do have the product. It's the commercial processing that's broken. And it's also the keeping up with the Joneses situation where the, you know, the neighbor that has the the giant chest freezer is overstocking and hoarding right. meat so nobody else can have it. The same issue we had with the toilet tissue and everything <laughs> and pasta and flour. I mean, Americans are greedy. Joneses, They're people. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. I think it's, and I think that hopefully there will be ways that the, you know, the farmers and the producers can expand their audience in light of this and, you know, get out there a little bit more. But I think there are people that just don't know that that source is there. Do you, do you know any, are there any farmers particularly you want to call out that are now, you know, going more direct to consumer instead of to restaurants with product? Oh yeah. Well, I've spoken to Ron Joyce at Joyce Farms uh, several times and, um, you know, they've, they've definitely, I mean, they definitely lost a lot of wholesale accounts. I'm not going to lie because they, they serve, they service restaurants first and foremost, and that's their, their biggest customers. They also do grocery, but you know, this more of a higher end, uh, um, product, like they have 
not only do they do um, pasture poultry, but they also have rabbit and, and, and guinea hen and pheasant and, you know, kind of these more Epicurean sort of uh, ingredients. Um, and so, I mean, they, they've been struggling for sure. And they, you know, they, they definitely have sold a lot more to, um, to the consumer as best they can because they, they don't have restaurants ordering in bigger bulk as, as they used to. But we were ordering a lot for our healthcare workers and we were even serving like, you know, steak and, and, and whole roasted chickens and stuff to these workers. So they got, they got some really good food. <laughs> Let me tell you, they had some great meals. Yeah. As they deserve to have. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I just am thinking so much about all the other chefs and restaurant owners around the country and how, how tough of a time everybody's having. And I just want to say like, keep your chin up and be resourceful and don't give up and, you know, do the best that you can and, and get that PPP money and, <laughs> you know, try to, try to maintain some kind of integrity of, of a staff. And I, I do think people are hungry to go out and eat again. I, and I hope that they are going to feel safe. Let them know what you're doing and let them know that you've got their back and you're taking care of your employees and you're taking care of the guests and hopefully they will come. Well, we hope so too. And uh, we look forward to being there. As soon as we can, as soon as travel opens back up. But uh, thanks again for sharing. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.